0: This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org.
1: Today, let's take up Case 72 in the Book of Serenity, a collection of 100 Zen stories, Zen koans. Because this story, Case 72, is about
2: Buddha nature. A theme of this falls practice period. And this story, uh, points out some wonderful
1: teachings, aspects of Buddha nature. And I think that this story accords nicely with uh, the lion's roar of Srimaladevi Sutra that we're studying this fall. So first I'll just read the story
2: and then we can talk about it. This
1: is a a story from probably eighth or ninth century in old China, in the Tang Dynasty, the golden age of Zen. Yangshan asked Junyi, "What is the meaning
2: of Buddha nature?"
1: Juni said, I'll tell you an analogy. It's like putting a monkey in a room with six windows. When someone outside the room calls it, monkey, monkey, the monkey then responds. In this way, called through all six windows, it responds. Yangshan said to Yi, well, what about when the monkey is asleep? Yi got right down from his teaching seat, grabbed Yangshan by the hands and said, monkey, monkey, you and I see each other. That's today's story. This is how the Zen ancestors tried to teach Buddha nature. So, to unpack this a little bit, this is a story about Yang Shan and Junyi. Junyi, the, the teacher in the story, is a disciple of the great Matsu, horse ancestor. Matsu is one of the all-time great Zen ancestors. Yeah. He had 80-something realized disciples, and one of them was Juni.
2: And, uh,
1: many other great disciples of Matsu, like, um, Baijan and Baijan had a disciple named Gui Shan, and Gui Shan had a disciple named Yang Shan, who's the other character in the story so um Jung Yi is like this like the spiritual great Dharma uncle of Yang Shan in terms of lineage. They're both in the lineage of Matsu, but uh Yangshan is, is a few generations later and he's um apparently quite a bit younger he's like a teenager here he was he had just received the precepts and um it's not clear whether he received them from jungie maybe because uh one of the longer versions of the story says he's he's coming to give thanks for receiving the precepts so maybe he did a huge precept ceremony with Jung Yi and many others uh, the day before or that hour before, something like that. But then he wants to come personally to Jung Yi and bow and give thanks for receiving the precepts, which is quite appropriate because it's wonderful to receive the precepts. And uh, but so I, it sounds like Yangshan was maybe like a teenager a, a young practitioner, Jun Yi, was an kind of old man at this point. And uh, Yang Shan, who already has some understanding, asks this important question. That's a good question for all of us to ask, especially this fall, because we're studying Buddha nature. This is the central question. What is the meaning of Buddha nature, actually? We can ask it again and again. In um, in dimly lit candlelit meditation halls, we can ask it under the bright sun of autumn. We can ask it when walking along with friends. We can ask it in the Doka-san room. What is
2: the meaning of Buddha nature?
1: I actually have some uh um, back in uh, dusty piles of stored things. Somewhere back in California, I have a um a scroll, a precious calligraphy from my teacher, Tenshin Roshi, uh that he wrote when um when at Green Dragon Temple we were studying this case many, many years ago. Uh it's a Handwritten Chinese calligraphy from this, from this story where it says, what is the meaning of Buddha nature? I mounted it in Chinese scroll style and hung it on the wall to remind myself to ask, what is the meaning of Buddha nature? And, uh, Yang, Yangshan asks Zheng Yi, and Jungi said, I'll tell you a simile, an analogy, a metaphor. Often that's how the Buddha taught. right? Maybe the sense is like, we well, can't really say it's that directly. What is the meaning of Buddha nature? So we teach it through similes and metaphors. Often. There's so many great Dharma metaphors that kind of, hint at the actual meaning. And this one that probably Jun makes this up on the spot. And it's a, quite a wonderful and surprising, kind of strange, unexpected metaphor, I think. He says, it's like, like a monkey. I think he's saying Buddha nature is like a monkey. I would never have come up with that analogy for Buddha nature it's like a monkey and it's like putting a monkey in a room with six windows. So um, he doesn't explain all the pieces of this analogy, but we can imagine, I imagine that uh, in this simile, the monkey is Buddha nature is, uh, in Sanskrit, we call it Buddha-Dhatu. Is the original term, probably, for Buddha nature. And we also call it Tathagata-Garba. In Sri Mala Devi Sutra, we're studying. This is a, a synonym for Buddha nature. Tathagata-Garba. And Buddha-Dhatu. Dhatu is like... Um, Maybe in this case, we could say like the element, the essential element of Buddha, the Buddha element, Buddha Datu, Buddha Nature. In Chinese, they translate it as Buddha Nature. Uh, tathagata Garba. Tathagata is the name that Shakyamuni Buddha referred to himself as a Tathagata, literally the Thus Come One. The one who, who, comes from thusness, comes from suchness. That's the Tathagata, but we could also say Buddha, fancy name for Buddha. And Garba could be translated as like womb or embryo or like the inner, innermost quality of something like the heart, the pith of anything. So um, all of these translations were maybe intended when when in ancient India they coined this term, to But uh, I think the most helpful one personally is uh, they translated as like heart. The heart meaning like the essential
2: nature of something. You
1: know, we could say like Zazen is the heart of the Zen tradition. Zazen is like the essential pith, um, centerpiece, the essence of Zen practice in the Zen tradition is Zazen. That kind of heart. So, um, the Tathagata heart, the Bu- Buddha heart, Buddha essence. Even is a lot like Buddha nature. So in this way, Buddha Tathagata Garbha have the same meaning, like the essential element of Buddha. What is this essential element of Buddha? Part of Buddha is Buddha nature. Uh, What is Buddha nature? (laughs) What is the meaning of Buddha nature? or just the definition um, of Tathagatagarbha in Buddha nature, in this autumn's um, sutra study, the Srimala Devi Sutra, um, she defines it quite wonderfully in a way that influenced maybe even the story. Srimala Devi says, The dharmakaya, oh no, we have another term now. the reality body, the dharmakaya. I'll talk about that in a minute. The dharmakaya of the chitagata of the Buddha is called the Chittagata Garbha. See if you can follow this old Indian sutra teaching of Mala Devi. The lion's roar of Queen Shimala. She says, the Dharmakaya, the reality body of Buddha is called Tathagatagarbha, or Buddha nature. When, when it is not separated from all these mental obscurations, clashes, like mental afflictions and delusions. Like that. This is a really important sense for, uh, that we should reflect on again and again because it's, it's defining these terms. Uh, I'll read it again. The Dharmakaya, the true reality of body, body of Buddha, um, and briefly we could say, Dharmakaya is like complete reality um, that doesn't come and go um, like like vast luminous space. Reality itself, I could even say. That's Dharmakaya. Buddha's true reality body. So Dharmakaya of the Buddha, the Tathagata of the Buddha, is called Tathagata Garbha when it's not separated from all these obscurations that um, obscure the Dharmakaya. The Dharmakaya is called Tathagata Garbha or Buddha nature When it's mixed together with these obscurations that obscure the Dharmakaya. Can you follow this? The Dharmakaya, reality itself, we call that reality Buddha nature when it's mixed together with obscurations and, you know, mental afflictions. And and when um, our Buddha nature, this is a way to say it in reverse. Sri Mala Devi doesn't say it, but I think we could say this in reverse. When our Buddha nature is not um, mixed together with all these obscurations, like dualistic thought and perception. It's a big one. When it's not mixed together with that, when it's not obscured by that, it's called the Dharmakaya. When the Dharmakaya is obscured by our, you know, dualistic thoughts and perceptions, it's called Buddha nature, Tathagatagarbha. When Buddha nature, Tathagatagarbha, is not obscured by any more dualistic perceptions, it's called the reality body of Buddha. Yeah. I think this is a wonderful definition. Sometimes there's other sutras that teach Tathagatagarbha and Buddha nature. Others teach it very similar to this. Sometimes Buddha nature is taught as kind of like equal to the Dharmakaya. It's like they're just synonyms. I think the Parinirvana sutra almost sounds like they're synonyms. Um, But in this sutra, Srimala Devi Sutra, Buddha nature or Garba, is, uh, is non-dual reality, Dharmakaya, like, like boundless, timeless space that is non-dual awareness itself with nothing obscuring it, no delusions of, of separation into subject and object. Just vast, compassionate, loving, empty space. That's Dharmakaya. That's a definition of Buddha. That's our true refuge. And it is taught, whenever Buddha nature is taught, it's taught that all sentient beings have Buddha nature. All sentient beings share in Buddha nature. So... Because of this, um, you might feel like, well, I, right now, I'm not like that That Dharmakaya. I'm not actually just boundless, timeless, spacious, um, luminous awareness, you know, infinite um, compassion and love. But I have Buddha nature because my Dharmakaya, reality of Buddha, is mixed. With these dualistic thoughts and perceptions. That's why Buddha nature in this case is like, uh, sometimes it'd be like the potential for complete Buddhahood. But the potential is in, in this, in this sutra, for example, it looks like this potential is not fully manifest because we're still caught up in these, um, illusory Mental afflictions, like the belief that I'm over here and you're over there. And the feeling even that I'm over here and you're over there. We feel and think and believe this and that's, you call it the obscurations to, uh, the obscurations that obscure our, our perfectly pure Dharmakaya. But, we do have this perfectly pure Dharmakaya in its somewhat obscured form called Tathagatagarbha or Buddha nature. Okay, so this is uh this is how we can understand Buddha nature in Shimala Devi Sutra. And in this story, I think this way of looking at it works very nicely. That's why we can call this amazing thing Buddha nature, we can call it. Like a monkey. Wouldn't that be an insult to the Buddha to say Buddha is like a monkey in a house? It's like, that's a little bit rude, maybe. But Buddha nature, maybe we can say this. It's, it's kind of like a monkey in a house. So in this analogy, um, I would propose that the monkey is Garba, which again is the Dharma body, the, the reality body, the Dharmakai of the Buddha, when it's not separated from all these kleshas, mental afflictions, and dualistic thoughts and perceptions. That's the monkey. The monkey's alive and well, but the monkey's kind of like, you know, um, not so settled. You know, it's a monkey mind. And maybe it came from this cohort. I don't know. Monkey monkeys that like jump all over the place and get all like they're they're not so relaxed. They're like constantly, you know, checking out all this stuff around them. They're really, I think, quite involved in dualistic perception. Maybe not thoughts so and much, but they're they're really into like external objects that come through six windows. So um, you could say it's like a monkey in a house, <laughs> putting a monkey in a house. Some people might say the house is the body. Sometimes the sutras say that um, Tathagatagarbha is in kind of within the bodies of all sentient beings. So there is that sutra teaching. To me, that's uh, a little um hard to relate to. I think it's it's if we say that the, the Tathagatagarbha is some essence of Buddha inside our bodies. Yeah, I think it's too materialistic. Personally, I think it's it's kind of implies, well, where in the body is it if it's in, inside the body? That is one way of talking about Buddha nature in the tradition. But um today I would propose, let's open to the possibility in this simile that the house here is uh, just experience. The, the experience of the present. We are all, um, you could say, dwelling in a house called the present experience. Aren't we? <laughs> I would propose, even without um, you know, reading your mind or something, I propose that all, all of all of us on the screen are um, in an experience right now. We're having an experience—an experience of seeing images on a screen, an experience of hearing sounds, an experience of um, sensing the body, and so on. That whole, um, you know, package of multisensory experience that we're always in. Today, I'd like to just try on looking at this simile as that's the house that the monkey is put in. The house we call experience, the present experience. What's the meaning of Buddha nature? It's like putting a monkey called Buddha nature in the house called experience. And this house of experience has six windows. The eyes. This experience can see, right? This experience has eyes. The experience has ears. The experience has nose, tongue, and physical sensation, and it has thinking and feeling. That's the six senses in uh,
2: Buddha Dharma. Uh,
1: five physical senses seeing hearing smelling tasting touching and one kind of purely mental sense of like knowing um like consciousness mental consciousness is the sixth sense in um, traditional buddha dharma so we're having a present experience right now. You could say this present experience is has six windows. We could even say this present experience is made up of these six windows. Our experience is is um, is our way of relating to a apparently external world, and the way that this present experience that each of us is having a, a somewhat different experience. Our experience is relating to a a world through these six windows, in other words, we're seeing we're hearing, if we happen to be eating something, we'd be tasting, if there's some incense burning, we're smelling, and we're always having a physical sensation of some kind, and there's always some mental activity. but if our eyes are open, our ears are open, we're always seeing and hearing, sensing and. Uh, And um, having some mental content. And if we put a donut on our tongue, we can taste and smell too. What's the meaning of Buddha nature? It's like putting a monkey, Buddha nature, in a room, experience, with six windows, six senses, when someone outside of our personal experience calls it, like you're having an experience, and I'm having an experience. You're over there, and the other side of our Zoom um, connection, and I'm over here, and I say, "Monkey, monkey," and you, um, these words come out of my um, zoom box experience and they um, enter your zoom box experience and uh, the monkey you in this case responds and if you say monkey to me then I respond like I hear it and um, I say yes so the sounds coming in through these windows, there's sights coming in through the windows, there's sensations coming through the windows, there's thoughts coming in. All of these, um, when the information comes into our experience from what we usually think of as outside our experience, it comes into these six windows and then our experience responds, or actually in the simile, the monkey responds. The Buddha nature responds. We could say the Buddha nature is like the knowing, the basic knowing uh, presence, the sense of presence, the um, the awareness of now. But in this case, is this the Dharmakaya um, awareness? I mentioned Dharmakaya is like the spacious awareness. Well, yes, in a way, but it's the Dharmakaya awareness that's somewhat obscured either greatly or slightly obscured by obscurations. Like greed, hate, and delusion really obscure (laughs) this spacious non-dual awareness, don't they? They're all about duality. Greed and hate are completely based on duality. Like something, I'm over here, there's something over there that I either want to get more of or I want to get rid of. It's, that's like definition of the illusion of duality. But we still have this, in a way, we we have this, the Buddha's Dharmakaya, completely, you know, fine, perfect, and complete. And at the same time, this perfect, complete Dharmakaya is also obscured by, it's hidden by our dualistic thoughts and perceptions and emotions and so on.
2: So the monkey is this
1: pure Dharmakaya temporarily obscured by dualistic thoughts and perceptions. Again, I read you Srimala Devi's um, definition of Chitagatagarbha in relationship to the Dharmakaya, right? In almost the same way, Matsu, who is Juni's teacher, right, the one who brings up the monkey simile, his teacher named Matsu said uh in, in the record of Matsu, said uh there is some is it something like there's an unborn and undying reality. When it's in bondage, it's called Tathagadugarbha. And when it's liberated from bondage, it's called the pure Dharmakaya. It's one of the maybe the the few places that the old Zen ancestors are really like using these Sanskrit terms um, in early Zen. And it and that definition is virtually the same as Srimala Devi's. So I would even propose that it could be that Matsu is actually... This is, the, this is a Zen connection to Srimadha Devi Sutra, although he doesn't mention the title. Is this unborn, undying reality. When it's in bondage, it's called the takedagarbha. When liberated, it's called the pure dharmakaya. The dharmakaya is boundless, neither increasing nor decreasing. In order to respond to beings... It can manifest as large or small, square or round. That's what Matsu says. The Dharmakaya um, can respond to beings. And in this case, the uh the monkey when it's still um, obscured by by um, still in bondage or obscured, it can still respond through these six windows because the Dharm, you could say the way that when somebody says monkey and the monkey goes, huh,
3: what, what do you
1: want? Show a window over here. Um, you could say, well, that's just like, that's just like a monkey's jittery like reaction. Yes. But we could also say, I would propose that that's the, that's actually the way the dharmakaya responds, but in this kind of like it's mixed still. With duality. So when the monkey says, huh? What did you over there say? (laughs) The monkeys um is you know in relationship to all this stuff and alive and aware, otherwise the monkey couldn't respond. Um, but it's responding, it's like all this stuff's outside, and it's and it's monkeys like freaked out, right? (laughs) I don't know if I'm sure some of you have met monkeys like in the wild like in in Asia, there's a lot of monkeys, like India, they're all over the place, nepal they like you know if you leave your window open um even like on a fifth story apartment, the monkeys will come in and ransack your place <laughs> and china too they're they're all over we don't have them so much in Austin. <laughs> but uh, monkeys are really like you know there are kind of human ancestors. It is said, right? So they they're, they they act somewhat like humans, and maybe that's why Jung picked the monkey as the animal here. He could have picked anyone, but they're kind of like us. <laughs> they're kind of jittery. They're kind of freaked out. They're kind of cu- maybe too curious. <laughs> they get into trouble. To their curiosity, and uh, and they can respond through these six windows to external stimuli. It's the meaning of Buddha nature. It's like putting a monkey in a room with six windows, and when someone outside calls it "monkey, monkey," the monkey then responds, "Huh? Yeah. Well, oh. you hmm. have some food for me." you have some music for me? And, uh, in this way, call through all six windows, it responds. The, the monkey in the room of experience. And then, uh, Yangshan, bright young Yangshan says, uh, receives this analogy, but then says, to further kind of like bring out the full meaning, ask his, his teacher, but well, what about when the monkey's asleep? And uh, usually we think of like, you know, Buddha means awakening. So we think of asleep as a kind of maybe negative term in Buddhist discussions. But here I would propose that when the monkey's asleep, it means it's actually like, not all jittery and like frightened and freaked out by all this sixth sensory stuff. It's just resting. And monkey's this is kind of like, it's still this, you know, ultimately perfectly pure awareness, but now it's not so caught up in all this external stimuli. It's just resting. So I would propose it asleep here is when the, when the, um, the monkey's taking a rest from the uh, obscurations. The obscurations of dualistic perception. Here is like, there's a color out there. There's a sound out there. And it's coming to me over here. It's like, it's t- the monkey gets tired of all that like duality. And just like, curls up on the floor of the house of experience. And just settles. You know, maybe actually asleep, but maybe like Zazen, it's just kind of withdrawing its obsession that's directed towards these objects, these six objects.
2: What about when the monkey's asleep?
1: It's a little less, you know, obscured by the six sense objects. Junyi got right down from his teaching seat. Grabbed Yan Shan, but in the other record it says grabbed him by the hands and did a little dance. Yeah, some of these it's nice in these um, these Zen records. This is the one in the Book of Serenity. If you look it up in like the Lamp Records, there's sometimes extended versions of the stories and slightly different translations. And this uh, kind of extended version says. He grabbed, I think, his two hands and did a little dance with Yangshan. In this story, it sounds like he just grabbed him, at, you know, in these end stories, sometimes they grab him by the collar or something, you know, kind of rough. But I think the spirit here, looking at the lamp record, is he grabbed him by the two hands and just started dancing with Yangshan. And while he's dancing, he's saying, monkey, monkey, you and I see each other so unexpected so fresh such a um this is the this is what it's like when the monkey is asleep when the monkey is not like what's that stuff outside my eyes what's that stuff outside my ears the monkey's just like resting and then spontaneously there can be a meeting could it be a non dual meeting it looks like to the outside observers that Jung Yi is holding Yangshan's hands and dancing with him, doing a little jig. But uh, from their experience, could it be that this is so fresh and uncontrived that um there's no separation at all? I could even imagine they're both starting laughing and delight. Yes, this is like meeting. And then if they they, if they stop and say, wait a second, what are we doing? This is not dignified conduct of Zen monks. Then they maybe go like, okay, now we're, we're, um, we're back in the six windows, um, monkey mind. Linji, uh, the great, um, uh, Dharma grandson of, of, uh, great-great-grandson of Matsu, said, Followers of the way, this reality called true mind has no fixed form. It pervades the ten directions. In the eye, we call it seeing, its present awareness. In the ear, we call it hearing. In the nose, we call it smelling. In the mouth, we call it tasting. In the body, we call it sensing. You know, paraphrasing a little bit, Linji's saying here. In consciousness, we call it attending. Originally, Linji says, it is one bright essence, but it divides itself into these six functions. Because this one mind, I would propose, Your one mind is like Dharmakaya. Or Tathagadagarbha, if it's obscured. This one mind has no fixed form. It is everywhere completely free and liberated. It's one bright essence that divides itself into six functions. But it is everywhere and always completely free. But our minds go... Rushing around, looking for something outside. Outside the six windows, like the monkeys. Sri says, Death is the ceasing of the six senses. Birth is the arising of a new set of six senses. But the Tathagadagarbha, Buddha nature, is not born and does not die. This cycle of birth and death of the six senses rests upon the Tathagadagarbha. Which is the basis and the source for the six senses. Another related teaching from the uh, Shimala Devi Sutra. So um, sometimes they in these, usually in these koan collections, they have a verse that celebrates the uh, the story. And uh, instead of reading this verse today, I'll just tell you a, um, a personal story to celebrate this story.
2: Maybe, maybe something
1: about, um, monkeys and monkeys that are sometimes awake and sometimes asleep. So, um, one, once upon a time in, in a Zen mind monastery at Tassahara hot springs, we were in a peaceful dwelling of a 90 day practice period. And uh, I was the shuso, the, uh, the head seat for the practice period, and my teacher Ten Roshi, was uh, was leading the practice period, and uh, and it's the tradition that the shuso sits next to the practice period leader, which is one of the great um, gifts of being shuso. Get to spend the whole practice period sitting next to your teacher. So um I was sitting next to Tenshin Roshi, Shuso and the and the uh, practice period leader face face out in the room to the room. And we were in Sashin in the dark winters of Tasahara and uh some days into Sashin. And um and all that long silent sitting, I don't know what happened, but um, uh, an inspiration just arose, and I thought, "Well, this is a rare opportunity. Uh, I'm sitting next to my teacher here. Let me ask him a question in the middle of zazen. Try not to disturb the great assembly, so I moved we close. So I could. I leaned over." Put my mouth like right next to his ear. Just to like, come um, to do a little dance and see what would happen. I whispered to him, I asked, is there
2: a dragon howl in a withered dead tree? Sometimes the Zen ancestors
1: asked that question and um, we were sitting here like dead trees, dead withered trees day after day. So I asked is there a dragon howl in a withered dead
2: tree? And without a moment's
1: gap my teacher mouth opened wide not just whispering to me but to the whole assembly these words started emanating something like whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take up arms against a sea of troubles thereby opposing them Da-da-da-da-da. I don't think it was that exact phrase and it was uh, 20 years ago or something, but I think it was Shakespeare. It was some Shakespeare that he knew by heart that I hadn't even heard. And he went on and on. I was like astounded pouring into the Zendo with these, these verses of Shakespeare and, um, my mind is kind of, like, cracked open. And I erupted into, after, after like, a minute or two of this, this is just going to go on and on, the rest of the zazen. And, and uh, I just burst into laughter. It was quite serious Shakespeare nurses, but I, I couldn't help it. I was trying to restrain the laughter, but it was too much. And then the people next to me started laughing. And and people next to them started laughing. And then the Shakespeare stopped.
2: And we went back to Zazen. Sometimes the monkey's asleep and there's just pure response. Uncontrived and unprecedented. What is the meaning of Buddha nature? Do
1: you have any questions for today? Jacob?
4: Yes. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Okay. I'm not doing any crazy echoes or anything.
1: Monkey, monkey.
4: (laughs) Other than that. (laughs) No extra echoes. (laughs) Um, okay. Um, something came to mind when you were talking about the monkey that is, what if it's asleep and there's the six realms or whatever, the senses and then the conscious is my question is awareness something that's an aspect of that unceasing. Uh unborn um, undone mm-hmm. uh, separate um, from consciousness
1: separate from consciousness right because mm-hmm.
4: you're talking yeah. about something being aware of all of this yeah yeah and yeah. I've always tangled with that because people have different definitions of consciousness and some people awareness and consciousness confused or
1: I don't know yes. so yes yeah, very good question uh, so uh, I like to translate, um, I mean, we're staying with the tradition. Um, it's good to go back to the Sanskrit words so we don't get too confused, I think, and make the make the clarification. So um, usually we translate, almost everybody translates, vijnana, the Sanskrit vijnana, as consciousness. When we talk about the five aggregates in the Heart Sutra, that's vijnana. Um, is consciousness, and the six senses. um, There's mental consciousness. In fact, each of the six senses, there's an eye consciousness and ear consciousness and nose consciousness in in Buddha's system from the earliest days. And all those are are in Sanskrit, vijnana. And um, jnana, nya, is the same root as um, knowing in English. These um these languages have many correlates or gnosis, it's the same as nya in Sanskrit. So um I think nyana is knowing is a good translation that fits nicely with English. And V like in English, um division or divide is kind of like splitting or bifurcating. So vidyana literally I think could be translated as dualistic consciousness, or divided knowing, literally. And um, that's just the normal consciousness we all have. It's the fifth aggregate. But it's divided, apparently divided, into um, into a subject and an object, or into an eye and a color. That's what we call duality. Um, but if you take away the vi, of uh, vidyana, you just have jnana, which means... Knowing, like undivided knowing. And, uh, and it's, and jnana is this word in, in the tradition that sometimes translated as knowledge, but I think that's misleading. I think that, that sounds like conceptual knowledge, intellectual knowledge. Um, jnana is sometimes translated as knowing. I like to make it clear by saying undivided knowing or non-dual knowing or awareness is another translation. In Tibetan um, ancient Tibetan tradition, they they um translate jnana as um, as a word in English that means like timeless awareness. So you see timeless awareness in in English Tibetan text it's translating jnana, but also knowing, knowing and awareness, undivided and um, and are. Six consciousness, the mental consciousness is a, um, when, when a, for a Buddha, Buddha's realization is when this, um dualistic consciousness, vijnana, is transformed into jnana. Sometimes they use this word transformed, uh, transformation, but again, maybe more accurate to say, like, Vijnana is revealed as jnana. That dualistic consciousness isn't really dualistic consciousness. That's an illusion. And for the Buddhas, um, see through that illusion. And the dualistic consciousness is revealed to be the non-dual knowing or awareness that it always was. So um, the relationship between consciousness, Vijnana, and the word, I like awareness or undivided knowing the relationship between them is you could say there we're talking about two different things but their relationship is the actual true nature of dualistic consciousness is non-dual awareness that's the relationship so they're not really two different things it's this one is the reality of the other or to say it the other way around non-dual awareness um when obscured is called dualistic consciousness. So it's very related to our earlier discussion, right? You could even say, and Buddhists even say that um non dual knowing, timeless awareness is another name for the Dharmakaya, actually. And when that's you know when that's obscured by particularly in this case dualistic perception, even. We know that dualistic thinking and conceptions obscure our presence and ease, but even dualistic perception, even the sense perceptions, the sense consciousnesses. There's an eye vijnana, as I just mentioned, an ear vijnana. In Mahayana Buddhism, at Buddhahood, there's no longer an eye consciousness and an ear consciousness quite radically. This is Yogacara tradition. Again, there's this transformation or um, I might choose to call it revelation. It's revealed that these six dualistic consciousnesses, the eye that sees colors is not really a dualistic consciousness. It is also a non-dual awareness. Because really? We can, how can there be the seeing of colors out there? If um there's this non-dual knowing. Now, what are those colors in relation to um the mind that knows them? And in this non-dual presentation of the yoga chara tradition, they say those colors are just the awareness. There isn't a dualistic consciousness mediating between them. And um that's called when this when the five Sense consciousnesses, the five physical senses, are revealed to be non-dual knowing. That's called the, um, is it like the, uh, the um, all-accomplishing timeless awareness. And when the, they have these different names, and the, and the sixth consciousness is revealed to be a non-dual knowing. It's called the, um, pure knowing, um, awareness, something like that. When the when the eighth consciousness, the storehouse consciousness is revealed to be a non-dual knowing, it's called the perfect mirror awareness. So all the conscious, all the eight consciousnesses or six consciousnesses, depending on the model, are all actually illusions. They're, From this point of view, there aren't really consciousnesses. That's a, that's a kind of a a radical proposal of the Mahayana that's saying the whole early Buddhist tradition talking about how consciousness works, that whole thing is just a description of an illusion. So
4: it's almost like it comes full circle or something. Almost. I don't know if that makes any sense. What would be the full circle? Well, the full circle would be kind of like this thing starts off with, there's this some sort of kind of pure, just like, I guess like, uh, Dhyana as opposed to Vinyana. Mm -hmm. And then these things happen with this interaction and you get caught up with that. And then you can get caught up with thinking about how there's this Dhyana as opposed to the Vinyana or whatever. And then. At some point, I guess you realize that the whole thing's fused, or something. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, I think I know, the crazy. relationship between the two is, is is a really important point that they're not exact, it's not that Vijana and Jana are two different things exactly, but it's not that they're just two different names for the same thing either, right? It's that one is the true nature of the other, and one is the true nature of the other. And the other is the obscuration of the true nature. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, and yes, it uh, I think you mentioned a good point that really we could say that the jnana is prior to the vijnana. The, the jnana is the original timeless source, we might say. That's the uh real the original reality, and then the obscuration is this temporary coloring or Hiding of the true nature. Okay, that's, that's a little different from the way we often think is that, um, we start as deluded beings and we eventually reach this realm of awakening that's never been the case before. Whereas it's really the opposite. It's more, especially in the Mahayana tradition, we start with there's a, there's an already complete perfect awakening, uh, awakened reality. Dharmakaya, and then that has, over time, been obscured. I laugh because, in, in fact, it's the over time that obscures it. The very notion of time is obscuring the timeless awareness. As soon as there's the there's the birth of time and space, the Dharmakaya is um, already starting to be hidden. Yes, thank you. And another... Another teaching in the um, Buddha nature, Indian Buddha nature teachings is that when the um when the Tathagata, let's see, when the Dharmakaya is um you know mostly obscured by um you know mental afflictions and dualistic thoughts and perceptions, it's called we already know it's called Tathagata but when it's mostly obscured, not Tatagata is called a sentient being like us, and when it's, like, partially unobscured, like half and half, it's like, there's really, like, long stretches of time when it's not obscured. It's, um, or at least some, sometimes it's not obscured. It's still called the Thakadagarbha, but this is called a Bodhisattva. when they really realize there is a reality that's not dual. And then uh, when it's completely unobscured, It's called the Dharmakaya. So there's almost like these sort of levels. of We start as sentient beings with this obscuration. As the obscuration starts to drop away, there's this bodhisattva path, seeing what's possible, but there's still, due to ancient twisted habit patterns, there's still a lot of work to do. But then it's eventually possible, the Buddhas tell us, to have no more observation at all, no more um, belief in duality. And it's called Buddha or Dharmakaya. And then that Dharmakaya can respond to beings as Matsus is. Um, like without any like um, you know this guy asked me like um, you know what's is, is there a is there a dragon howl in a withered tree? I'm trying to remember what that old ancestor said. Or what should I say? And should I tell him that you shouldn't talk during Zazen? What are you doing? I, no, none of
2: that happened.
1: Just from, from out of nowhere, without any, any um, thought, it seemed to me, like Shakespeare just erupts.
2: Until something, some conditions change and it stops.
4: Yeah, when you said that, it was hard to kind of factor or figure what it was that you were describing happened. <laughs> and then the people laughing. Um, but it, yeah, I guess it was, um, but it was kind of a response to what you said, though, in a way, like, uh, uh just like, like the just dragon like... In, the, in, in the tree, he, he kind of starts quoting the Shakespeare that's just about this kind of, this, this outpouring of, uh, uh, I forgot what it was you quoted, but it was kind of like
1: I forgot coming to. up in
4: arms against all these things that are onslaughts or something. So I, I get, you know, I guess it was, uh,
1: I didn't really know what was going on at the time. <laughs> and I think that's why this laughter came out because my mind was trying to like, okay, like, um, something wonderful is happening, but I, I don't know what it is so I just, my face cracked into a laugh. Um, but that's just like this story, right? Yanshan says, what about when the monkey's asleep? And um, Junyi is not going to explain what it's like when the monkey's asleep. It's just an immediate response. He, you know, got down from his seat and started dancing with him. Right, and it's
4: not it's not uh, contrived, it's completely spontaneous.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. Just kind of- which is different than the way the monkey usually responds. It's like, who's right. that over there? Is that okay? Right. Or like, is that good or bad? Is that like, you know, is that going to benefit me or harm me? And all that. Uh, yeah. Let's see. So, um, Sherry, did, did you have a question? Thank you. You're welcome.
3: Sherry, and then I think Rich also has his hand up. I just have a comment about, um, non-dualism. When I experienced, when I was younger and I experienced joy, I could always attach it to something that maybe I experienced joy and I'll go, I'll look inward and say, well, where is that joy coming from? Um, what did something special happen? And, uh, and it, I cannot find the source of it. And it's a great, it's a, Then I put this whole thing about, oh, wow, that's a great experience. That I wish I could just bring this up more and more. Um, But when I think about the monkey in this cube of six windows, I just think of it. It's all glass, and it's the monkeys in there and just totally surrounded by all our senses. There's no ground. We're totally groundless just to be present with whatever rises and uh, try not to attach what caused that thought uh, as, yes. as if to control them.
1: <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well put. And I like that image. It's the monkeys in a glass house that um, it's like, instead of like, it's a lot of walls with just these small windows, the whole thing is windows. Yeah. I think it is more like that. Right. We're saying that the house is our present experience. Everything we're experiencing is like one window, you know, one window or six windows but the six windows are all overlapped and they're all like you can't you can't say what's between the windows it's just one permeable experience and it and uh and the monkey when it's awake seems to be like really engaged in the external objects we call colors sounds smells tastes physical sensations Mental ideas and so on. And, uh, yeah, so, so like as you say, we just try to, um, be present in this experience and, um, and not too obsessed with the external stimuli. That's an We kind of settle down. We keep our eyes just a little open, but we like let all our senses kind of like settle more and more. So they're open, but they're, they're resting they're not totally asleep maybe, but they're, they're resting. And I think this is the sense of my sense of monkey being asleep is like, uh, we withdraw our kind of like tendrils that are going outward to these um, objective experiences. We like, let them settle back, back, back more into this presence, which is not really a withdrawing into a, into a tight little house. It's more just like, um, relaxing the externality focus. So then we're still, it's like six windows. It's a, it's a bright house of experience, but, um, but inside and outside for the sleeping monkey, inside and outside become more and more porous. And I think we experience that sometimes in Zazen. And joy, as you mentioned, yeah, joy, I think is a, uh, um sometimes we can find reasons for it, but but um maybe it could be said that even when we can say, Oh, I'm really happy because this happened or whatever, but the actual joy itself may be a kind of like um it's our Buddha nature uh expressing itself. It's still mixed with, you know, stories about like, well, it came from this and that or whatever. But actually the pure joy itself, especially when we can't find a reason for it, that's even better. We can't find a reason. Then it's just like, it's a, it's a um, quality of Buddha nature. We'll we'll see in, in Srimaladevi Sutra, she says that, that one of the, um, transcendent qualities of the Dharmakaya, actually, so that it, so even in the form of Buddha nature, um, it, it, comes through sometimes this dharmakaya joy joy or bliss even is is a um, transcendent quality of dharmakaya according to shri Devi and other sutras so it's like for a buddha it would be like non-stop joy but for um and bodhisattvas they'd sometimes be joyful for no reason and sentient beings are maybe joyful sometimes and usually they like you know put some external reason on it but you could say the actual joy itself could be said in any such situ- any kind of joy. This is, I'm sort of trying on this thought myself right now. Could it be that any kind of joy in its true essential joyness is actually Buddha nature joy? But, you know, it comes through, for sentient beings, it's sparked by conditions, right? Somebody gives us a birthday present or something. But the joy that's felt um, in this moment, you know, without any thoughts being added to it, one could say, this could be the same joy as the Dharmakaya's joy, but it's mixed with, like, you know, conditioned circumstances. Just because I got a birthday present, and now after my birthday's over, it's I'm no longer joyful. But I tapped into Buddha nature for a minute there. Maybe even better, uh, when I give someone a birthday present, I'm joyful. That's why that's called a paramita, a transcendent, could be a transcendent practice of giving. And there's this joy in giving. And that joy is like really like a Buddha nature joy. Because it's like, at the moment of giving, it's kind of like giving up duality for a moment.
5: Thank you Rich uh, hello, thank you. That was a great talk. Um, so I was thinking about what your your story about your encounter with your teacher. and I was thinking about monkeys, and of course, uh, what came to mind was this um, infinite monkey theorem, which is the <laughs> theorem that if you put a monkey in a in a room with a typewriter. Infinitely, eventually, they'll start typing Shakespeare, <laughs> That's right. right? And I know I felt a lot of joy reading Shakespeare, and um, I'm like, I think it kind of came back to me, like, well, what's the purpose of practice? Maybe it's the monkey has to sit in the room long enough to notice the situation, and maybe start to write about it, like, to, or to be to expound about it, like, just, yeah, here I am in this room with these these six windows and i'm going to settle down and 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 study this what's the nature of this you know and this is you know i'm i'm starting to starting to wake up and maybe i'll type you and type some shakespeare while i'm at it you know um but we have to practice this to get to that that place is that does that sound right uh, when i when i
1: hear think of this um theorem call it called the monkey infinite ah, I monkey mean- Infinite, infinite monkey theorem. Like it's yeah, yeah. The hundredth monkey is a different (laughs) theorem. Another one we could talk about too. But um, yeah, what a what a great connection to Shakespeare there. And um, when I think of that uh, infinite monkey theorem, I think that the I'm I'm imagining it that that in that whoever proposed that is not saying that the monkey is like sitting down and thinking I'm going to write something like Shakespeare. It's almost like spontaneously comes out. It's like, they're just like a monkey just like pounding on keys, but because there's so many of them, that, that spontaneous arrangement of typewriter keys happens to be Shakespeare's writing. Almost right. like it's un, like it's unintentional, which kind of fits with this, this sleeping monkey's, um, Dharmakaya, like unintentional response. The Dharmakaya um it is said responds to beings um, without any special intention like natu- naturally naturally uh, just comes forth and it's always compassionate so um so that would be another way to look at it is that the monkey's not even trying to create Shakespeare. but but your point of um that it takes a long time for this to happen, <laughs> I think is certainly true that this would. It's going take a lot of monkeys a lot of time. So we need a lot of people sitting in the zendo for a long time. And, um, when we have that situation, wonderful spontaneous things can happen and do. And, you know, what we call a long time from the point of view of, of Kaya, is really no time at all. It's, it's always now, but it's like, uh, more and more, appreciation of the the full expanse of now. This now includes Shakespeare. Shakespeare is with us now um, because in the unchanging now, timeless, beginningless, endless now, uh, everyone who's ever lived and ever will live is um, here now. And then, yeah, the 100th monkey theory is another interesting one. It's like, um, if you, uh, there's a, there's, um, one, there's these monkeys on a, on a deserted island, right. And, um, and one of them learns to use a tool. This is how I remember it. Like, a, a they can use a rock to crack a coconut or something like this. They just make this amazing discovery. You can use this. It, before that we had to wait like years for the coconuts to rot, to eat them. Now we have this tool. One of them discovers it. And then, um, you know, a year later, the other sort of dense monkeys watching it like, wow, I've been watching this for a year. Maybe I could do it too. They pick up a rock and then, okay, they're catching on. Now there's two of them doing it. Now it takes a little less time for the next one. They pick up the rock. Now this whole island is starting to learn this new thing of this tool. And then the um when it gets to uh, this is how I remember, correct me if someone knows otherwise. When it gets to like a hundred monkeys doing this, then the monkeys on the next island over that don't even see these monkeys, they immediately all start picking up the rocks. <laughs> is it something, something like that? Is that the hundred monkey theory? Yeah, so it's like that's like magic. And what is going on there? It seems like the workings of the Dharmakaya or something. Almost like the way that, um that ultimately, uh, it, there's only one Dharmakaya. <laughs> and so, um you don't, if you had multiple Dharmakayas, there would be, um that would be dualistic Dharmakaya, right? You're like this Dharmakaya is talking to that Dharmakaya. You can't have two Dharmakayas. So if there's one reality, that's, you know, divides itself into, um, hundreds of monkeys. Then, um, there's something about that unity that, that maybe, um, defies the usual laws of time and space across islands and so on. Anyone know any other, um, monkey theories?
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: David So I was um thinking about this notion of the monkey being asleep, and you've sort of given um, you know we could think about it as consciousness being asleep, we could think about it as um, duality kind of being asleep or breaking down, and yet in the in the story, um, you know he gets up and he joins hands. And, and says, monkey, I see you. And, and so there's a sense of the monkey being there and almost not asleep. And at least, at least that's the way I I read it a little bit. And I'm wondering, is that a paradox? Is that also just breaking down duality in the sense of the monkey's asleep and not asleep or, you know, I'm just trying to understand that. Yes, you bring up a, an important point. And
1: um yes, it's like I think you at the beginning you you um mentioned it well, I think in clarifying this that yeah, you could say consciousness falls asleep and um that falling asleep of consciousness is called the, the falling asleep of dualistic consciousness is called um dual undivided awareness. Yeah, that's that's how it, which is unusual in the story. I resisted, you know, looking into the story for a long time because I thought, it's so strange. What do you mean, the monkey falling asleep? It's sort of counterintuitive when we're so into awakening. But I do think that this makes the most sense. And, um, and yes, so we say if it's non-duality now, if it falls asleep to duality and uh, is now a non-dual reality, how can this teacher um, join hands and dance with this other one and, and say monkey to him and they're, um, you and I see each other. Isn't that duality? I think that is the essence of the story is like, is can that kind of thing happen? Can these kind of dances happen without duality? It looks like duality. looks like just the same situation as before, but, uh, in this uncontrived, spontaneous um, way, such, you know, what we usually think of as interactions can happen without the sense of duality. I think that's a big part of what, what uh, the, a lot of these Zen stories are pointing at. It's not like when, it's not like they're having a dualistic conversation and when non-duality is realized, everything goes silent and like like a withered tree or something. That would be really boring stories. It's more like when non-duality is realized, it's very dynamic. And a lot of activity is happening in this non-dual meeting. Is it really a meeting? You and I see each other? I think he's saying this, but um, I think he's demonstrating how I can say you and I see each other. But really, there's just one Dharmakaya that's like playing It's dancing as the appearance of you and me, but we're not even thinking that way anymore. Like we don't know what's going on anymore. I think that's what these stories are showing that the Dharmakaya, the one non-dual Dharmakaya is manifesting and playing very dynamically and, um, And, uh, sometimes the conversations go on and on in this strange back and forth way that doesn't make so much logical sense, or as you say, paradoxical. It sounds kind of paradoxical. It's more just like fresh expression. And, uh, can we practice in this way? Can we sit, kind of settle more into our Dharmakaya Buddha nature during Zazen? And then when we get up, um, you know, pop back into our dualistic mind a little less firmly and a little more playfully. Um and I think that this does naturally happen. We okay. can we can uh maybe another way to say it is um more simply is uh um, just uh not take anything that's happening too seriously. We don't want to go too far the other extreme. Either, but, but I think usually when we're, when we're suffering a lot, it's generally when we're taking things, experiences, a little too seriously. What if it's just this, like, play? Maybe painful play for the moment. but um, It's okay. It's Dharmakaya play. Thank you all monkeys, you and I see each other today and may we continue to
2: forevermore.